Merry Christmas, guys, and welcome to Hitting the Apex. Today we're talking about the teams of 2018 and how they have compared to each other and then comparing the drivers within the teams and what the transfers and driver changes would do for those teams in 2019. So we're going to roll right into our topic today for our podcast. We're going to go down the line starting with Williams about each team and how they did each year and what's going to happen moving into 2019. So with Williams, uh, they have finished plum last with only seven points not nearly as bad as Sauber uh, in 2017 and they only finished with five but thinking that majority of your points are coming from one driver I mean that's a lot with these teams but Lance Stroll who didn't seem like he had a very good year this past year uh, and Sorokin only getting one single point uh, they're going to lose both drivers one to nobody and the other to the Pink Panthers of Force India Racing Point. We got Toro Rosso. They finished ninth, uh, 15 points behind Sauber, but having Gasly leave Toro Rosso and going to Red Bull next year. Uh, is that going to hurt them, or does having two new drivers uh, help them, which include Daniel Kvyat, uh, who lost his drive midway through the 2017 season, if we remember that, and the young third-place winner from uh, Formula 2 Alexander Albon who's going to be a rookie this year I think he's one of the first tire or the only tie driver in uh, Formula 1 uh, Alexander he's the one that's kicking out the Kiwi the guy from New Zealand Brendan Hartley out of his F1 driver spot for 2018 and still Hartley has said nothing about what he's going to do next year so it'll be interesting to see if he's going to fall into the footsteps of Stoffel Van Dorn and go into Formula E, or if he's going to just be done with racing. Um, maybe he'll move into Indy car racing like Ericsson's doing. Uh, and Fernando Alonso, it'd be interesting to see three F1 drivers move out to Indy and come to the States and drive out here in a lot of circle tracks. But we will see what brings Hartley for 2019. So Sauber. One of my most favorite teams. Uh, I've kind of fallen in love with him with uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, I think he's a phenomenal driver. And uh, like I said before, they finished 15 points ahead of Toro Rosso. So that's a that's a lot of points for coming down to these guys, the midfielders, the lone midfielders in the back of the packs. Um, and they finished with a total of 48 points. Uh, obviously, Charles Leclerc brought home just about all those points, 39 to be exact is a lot better than 2017 season like I said earlier with Sauber when they only finished with the five hole points and looking back if you had paid attention Charles Leclerc scored one more than that in each of the last three races finishing seventh gets you six points and he's getting six points for the last three races there's 21 points right excuse me 28 points right th wow I can't do my math 18 points sorry 18 points uh, that he got in the last three races of the season. Now, just like with Toro Rosso, is Sauber trying to get a fresh team by bringing the veteran Kimi Raikkonen? And they're also bringing in the Ferrari driver, Academy graduate, Antonio Giovinazzi. Um, yeah, I understand that they're going to have a Ferrari engine behind the driver, 
Is this going to give the two drivers an edge for the next year? Or did Sauber get lucky with Leclerc, uh, bringing in somebody new, someone fresh? I think he won the Formula 2 or, you know, the championship he came from last year. Um, And are they just – did they just lose their best chance to really succeed, uh, you know, losing Leclerc? He going to Ferrari. Is that going to lose a chance for them? Are they going to be – fall further back down and get only five points or are we going to get up near the 40s again i know another interesting team that did really well um, had a kind of interesting season uh, is force india uh, racing point Um, you know it's force india sahara force india racing point force india mercedes we've had 50 names i'm sure next year it's just gonna be racing point and it's gonna look totally different and not going to be the Pink Panthers. Um, like I said, they're, you know, they were bought out by Lance Stroll's dad, um, and that kind of brought a new wave for the team in the latter half of the season after the summer break, only dropping behind McLaren by 10 points. I mean, granted that, you know, I think they had almost equal that before the split, before the uh, break and their whole, you know, big situation. Um, and that, being behind McLaren, that's going to have them finish seventh this year. Um, with everything played out for Force India, they really looked like they could have been in contention for fifth or sixth. Like I was saying, you know, McLaren finishing sixth, um, that's only a 10-point difference. And you have those, I think it was eight points, where Force India Sahara had eight. There's only eight points. You know, there was eight points that they could have picked up if they had stayed but I think they would have been in huge jeopardy without that money from uh, Stroll's dad. Um, they pick up Stroll's son, Lance, and keep Sergio Perez, which had the much better season than Ocon uh, with a spectacular finish at Azerbaijan, if we remember from the earlier uh, part of the season. Um, and he finished on the podium uh, in third place. Um so how much success will they see or uh, for Racing Point is um, – and they're saying that Lance Stroll and uh, Perez are basically neck and neck on the sim with their times. So we're going to see how it turns out for them uh, starting next season. Another really uh, big team that I've been had been following because I was really hoping that they were going to, you know, climb out of the depths of, you know – despair essentially uh being with honda for a few years uh they have a new contract obviously with renault they just finished their you know the first season with uh renault being called mclaren renault uh their success was almost based solely on fernando alonso you know the two-time championship uh they finished sixth with 62 points with fernando having 50 of those so stan uh you know stoffel van dorn only having about 12 of those uh their highest finish being fifth this year so i'm thinking the switch to renault for mclaren was a good idea since they only have you know they have two more years so do you, i are we thinking that in, you know in 19 they're going to do really good and then they're going to renew their contract so they don't have to worry about you know after that year oh are we going to you know fight for keeping renault are we going to move on I guess it's all depending on how they do on that third year and how did they even do it in 2019. Um, you know, thinking about this, they have two 
uh, Honda engine teams, uh, both beginning with a red and a bull, and they're losing both of their drivers. One to retirement, obviously, Fernando Alonso. He's retiring for from F1, uh, like we discussed uh, last week, you know. Uh, and the other basically, I mean, he, he didn't do so good. He was getting out-qualified. He was getting outmatched every race, and it just, he he has to move on. He's keeping his uh, his license. He's moving on to Formula E. I just recently saw, you know, I think it was a week, week and a half ago, maybe two weeks now, uh, where he was racing a Formula E, and he finished 16th. <laughs> that sounds like a Stoffel Van Dorn move. So we'll see how he winds up in Formula E. And um, and I'm thinking McLaren kind of has to start over. I mean, luckily they're picking up a former former Renault driver, uh, Carlos Sainz, and the Lando Norris moves up from F2 and becomes a rookie next year in Formula One. Uh, so we're gonna see if having a driver from the factory team and a rookie will bring even more success for them or not. I understand, you know, having that senior guy Renault and then having a you know a kid essentially, you know coming up and driving together so they can learn together and they can grow together and then whenever Carlos Sainz wants to move on and you know go do different things um, they can keep the kid and hopefully grow with the kid and win some championships so we'll see if Norris is going to fight with Williams and uh, have you know a good season so Haas F1 team uh, this is my home F1 team here in the United States of America. Uh, they have two foreign drivers who are staying in uh, the American team. So it's not like they're, you know, dipping off or we're going to lose um, a lot of success. They In the beginning of the season, they looked so good. Kevin Magnuson and uh, Roman Grosjean, they looked so good. Um, which, fun fact, here we go, here we go. Are you ready for this? Roman Grosjean, when he was a kid racing, had dual citizenships. I just recently listened to the F1 podcast. Um, yeah, talk, I'm on a podcast talking about a podcast with Roman Grosjean on a podcast. Whoa. So, Roman Grosjean, sorry, let's get back to our point. Roman Grosjean had dual citizenships when he was a kid. Um, his mom was Swiss and his dad was French or the vice versa. One of them, one of his parents was French and one of his parents were Swiss. So he grew up with this in a Swiss French family. Whenever he drove as a kid, one side would have a French flag and one side would have a Swiss flag. And then whenever he would go to different leagues, depending on how many Swiss people there were, he would put the Swiss flag on, you know, more predominantly. And then as, you know, the years went on, he would uh, adapt more the French side, you know, wanting to be more of having the French flag. And then he finally went to Renault, and the, you know, they were like, "Hey, we want, we want to have somebody that is a French driver." Okay, so now we have a French Roman Grosjean. Sorry, I just want to have a little fun fact for you guys. Um, so Haas, they finished with 93 points, which is a good amount. I mean, they did pretty well and, and they were the top team with lint Ferrari engines. So, you know, having a Ferrari engine in the back and borrowing it from Ferrari, they were the top team. So, I mean, that's something going for them because all the other ones, uh, I mean, obviously besides Red Bull, they're a lint, uh, engine team from Renault now going to be a Honda next year. Um, 
I mean, uh, other than that, there's only factory teams. So that's they're doing really well, and they represent America really well. Um, their highest finishing position for the season was fourth. I was really hoping they were going to get a podium, kind of represent America a little bit, but that's okay. They could have they could have had a good run in the beginning of the year, but that letdown out of Australia we were talking about last week really took a toll on the team. Uh, both drivers finished with double-digit points at the end of the year, but Magnussen ultimately having the most at 56, and he topped both Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz. Uh, now we're moving on to the factory teams we were just talking about, Renault. Um, I'm really starting to dig Renault. I'm really starting to respect them. Learn more about their history. Learn about you know with where they have been, what they can do. Um, you know, Fernando Alonso was part of Renault back in the day, and they were really good. I mean, granted, they were fourth place overall. Uh, they're the first factory team on our list right now, and uh, they kind of topped out for the midfielders. Uh, there's several hundred points behind the team that is now no longer part of their engine next year, Red Bull Racing, like we just talked about. They're going to be known as Red Bull Honda. Um, really just, you know, th- kind of hurting. I mean, they picked up McLaren, so that's good. But they're losing Red Bull. They're losing Carlos Sainz. Um, they're getting Daniel Ricciardo from uh, Red Bull Renault. But is that going to make some tension? Is but is Ricardo's tension and anger going to be mostly because of of Red Bull or is it going to be of Renault? You know, he's talking about how many, so many DNFs from last year or this past year. Um, is it reliability on the engine? Is it reliability on the car? But we see that, you know, Verstappen had like two or three wins this, you know, this year. Um, one, you know, and one of the biggest podiums that one of the biggest controversies was at um, Brazil uh, whenever he ran into Ocon or Ocon ran him over, whatever. Anyways, moving on. So they, they pick up Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and I kind of did a little math to see, you know, with projection, if they had picked up Ricciardo a little earlier. Um, if they had Ricciardo and Hulkenberg this past 2018 season, um, they were competing they would have a 6th and 7th place drivers for 2018. And then when we combine their points together, um, they would have finished with 239 points. Higher than where they would have been, yes, but still behind the Red Bull team. Verstappen alone had 249 points. That's a a whole place. That's a lot of points for Formula 1. So either Hulkenberg needs to step up and score more points and not have so many, you know, issues going into the year, or Red Bull, you know, hate to say it, Red Bull just has to have a crappy year due to that reliability issue with Honda. So we'll see. Um, and then, you know, it, and then it, if that happens, Renault really needs to step it up, really bring the A game. Uh, you know, try to take ahead of that midfielder pack and try to charge up to that third place position. Talking about the third place position, we do have Robo Racing. Like we had talked about, he's moving on to Honda. Oh, so repetitive. Keep talking about it. Um, I would have said that they had a, <laughs> a phenomenal year. You know, the guys that make energy drinks, hopefully, you know, they didn't do it. They had more phenomenals besides just you know energy drinks but with how many dnfs and i said this many times before they received from daniel ricardo alone 
I don't think I can consider that phenomenal. I can't. Uh, and I'm not, you know, putting the blame on the Aussie, but he did not have a good year. He had two wins. It was early in the season. It was in the first six races. And then after that, what? Nothing. Uh, they fin- did finish third, like I said, and they finished with 419 points. So, like you know, like I said earlier, several hundred of points above Renault, and 249 of those um, going to Max Verstappen. Um, but there's still over 150 points behind the next team of Ferrari. So they could have had a lot more points and could have had a lot been a lot closer. And in contention for the championship, I think if there was that reliability issue knocked out and there wasn't that tension between Renault and Red Bull. But, of course, we don't live in, you know, a perfect land. So everything was knocked out of place and uh, 150 points behind. Uh, Red Bull Racing, you know, I think had a kind of a lonely year with no competition and no contention for a higher position. Uh, they get to keep their highest poor score point scorer like I said Max Verstappen but you know they do lose Daniel to Renault uh, also receiving a new engine from Honda next year <laughs> and I is this going to put them this is my point for Red Bull now Honda and I keep saying this over and over again that they're getting a new engine and I'm sorry but you guys got to understand this is this might be a turning point for Red Bull for the good or for the worst with how bad of a time we saw McLaren with Honda granted they did get better over the years compared to the first couple years that uh, McLaren was getting the free engines from Honda but did, do we think Toro Rosso had a good enough year to really think that there's going to be the speed and the reliability of the Honda engines going into Red Bull next year I don't know Looking at the point scoring, now granted it could be Toro Rosso's fault, uh, having those that double DNF in Russia due to brake failure, that's on them. That that could have been a lot of points right there. Um, so is this going to put them in a better contention for the constructors' title, or does this reliability aspect really take point next year as they try to hash out the problems, like I said about like they had with McLaren, um, and. I don't know if Toro Rosso worked out the kinks enough. Um, with Red Bull and Renault had with having that fallout, was the relationship cut too soon? Should they have extended because they were getting better? They were doing well. Max Verstappen was getting you know wins. He was getting up on podiums. He was becoming you know one and two for qualifying at. Mexico for Red Bull. And then, you know, a DNF from Daniel Ricardo that's that same race doesn't help. I think what Red Bull did was anticipation giving Max Verstappen all the parts that they knew were going to run on their car. And then giving then all the crap parts they had to Ricardo since he was going to move to literally the competition next year, not, you know, somebody that they would be fighting, you know, fighting over engines with. No, literally competition. Red Bull, Honda, and Renault. So is this going to 
be the good or the bad, or is it going to get ugly? So let's let's stop with the Red Bull Honda and the Renault. Like I've, I think I've bet, beat a dead horse twice over now. <laughs> and I apologize for that. So we're going to move on to Ferrari. And it did do higher. Our news doesn't get much better. <laughs> you know, it's a sad year for these prancing horses. You know, it was a beautiful car, but they fell short for the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship for how many years now? Five. Fifth year in a row. Uh, both their drivers finished on the podium for the Drivers' Championship. Uh, Sebastian Vettel on two and Kimi Raikkonen on three. And there were only about 70-something points separating the two drivers, so they were pretty close. Raikkonen, of course, only having one win and Vettel having quite a bit more. <laughs> but is losing Kimi to Sauber, and I hate to say it, quote-unquote gaining Charles Leclerc from the same team, bring hope or despair for Ferrari next year? And I say quote-unquote because this is only going to be um, – Charles sophomore year granted he did come from Sauber uh, to race in the past season and uh, he had a, I mean he did have a Ferrari engine you know in the back fleeing around the track but his sophomore year with Formula 1 and being on one of the most well known teams in racing uh, is this going to bring pressure onto him and even the team to kind of prove something? Because, you know, they got a kind of a relatively new kid in a really big position, and they have, you know, a four-time champion, uh, Sebastian Vettel. Ooh, I'm excited because I am a Charles Leclerc fan, and I'm really excited that he's going to be driving for a bigger, bigger, bleh, bigger and badder team than Sauber, but he did help Sauber out, I really do think. And he knows the Ferrari engine. But I'm worried that because of that big step, and he said himself, if he's not good enough, they shouldn't keep him. I'm just worried that they won't keep him because he's not going to be good enough. I hope they give him time to adjust and to get to know his position. And get uh, he's going to be a two-man. We already know it. He's going to let Sebastian Vettel win. But are we going to see, you know, the t you know Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull racing? Or are we going to see Mercedes, Sebastian Vettel, Renault? Or, well, you know, what are we going to see? It's going to be interesting. We might even see just uh, Mercedes and Sebastian Vettel, or we just might see Lewis Hamilton take all the shit again this year. We'll see. And talking about Mercedes, I think they deserve the phenomenal – you know, year award if there was one. Ding, ding, ding. You know, need to put a little something there. Um, they won five straight drivers and constructor titles for the team. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas made great, made a great, a great, 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 a great mighty duo. Uh, we'll see if they can keep it up with some driver changes behind them, like we've been talking about. Maybe more pressure from Ferrari with a fresh face, or maybe in Red Bull with new engine. Um, and then, like I said before, if someone doesn't step up, then Mercedes will take the dynasty of the V6 turbo era. And I'm not afraid to say that. They will be they will be the you know the New England Patriots or you know Alabama or 
you know, Jimmy Johnson, they will win the V6 Turbo era and they will lock it out until 2021. So what do you guys think? Is this going to bring some excitement to Formula 1 for next year, especially with those new wing rules starting in 2019? I'm already excited for the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne starting in March, and I'll keep bringing you news all the way till Australia and all the way through the 2019 season. Well, that's time for our news flash. Uh, this is a segment where we talk about everything new this week or what's going on in the past couple weeks. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. So already ahead of us is the announcement of Ferrari, Racing Point, and Renault's 2019 reveals for their new cars for the new season. With Ferrari taking the lead on setting the dates on February 15th, just three days before pre-season testing for 2019. Racing Point doing the reveal two days before Ferrari's on February 13th at the Canadian International Auto Show in Toronto, Canada. And Renault trying to one-up Race Point setting their date for February 12th at Instone Whiteway Technical Center in Oxfordshire, England. Um, the next news, here we go, racefans.net reports that the British Racing Drivers Club, which organizes the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, has reports claiming it offered to pay Liberty Media the 30 million pounds. That's roughly 38 million dollars for you non-poundage people out there. Um, it received 30 million pounds in ticket money from the race in exchange for a subsidy to cover the cost of holding the race. BRDC Chairman John Grant said that we have no intention of talking about the British Grand Prix contract negotiation in public. The Pit Pass and Mail on Sunday articles are pure fiction and spurious speculation. Ferrari stages Michael Schumacher's celebration for the 50th birthday of the most successful Ferrarista in history. Schumacher's Twitter account says that the rooms of the museum are decorated with images from the unforgettable years that the seven-time world champion gave to all Ferrari and that have created a legend that is greater than ever in the hearts of all the fans. The museum is set to be open the 1st of March. Valtteri Bottas says he will compete in his first rally in January as he takes on the Arctic Lapland Rally in his home country of Finland. Bottas will be sporting a Ford Fiesta M Sport R, the same kind that the former rally champion Sebastian Ogier drove. We'll see how the Finn will compare it to his buddy Kimi Raikkonen did back in 2009 on his debut for rallying where he finished 13th. So now you can listen to Hitting the Apex on other platforms. It's on Apple Podcasts for the iPhone, Spotify, Google Podcasts for Android and other Google devices, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts, I come to you. I just want to say thanks for listening to Hitting the Apex. I hope to see you right here again next week for another exciting episode. As we talk about the latest F1 news and the top five best and worst moments of the year, the top five wrecks of the year, and the top five battles of the year. I'm Nate for Hitting the Apex to remind you that life's too short to drive slow. Thanks. See you next week.